to join me here this morning for two reasons. One, I wasn't sure I could make that walk by myself. And two, because we wanted to stand here together and say to you, our church family, we love you and we appreciate you. We thank you for your love and support and for walking with us um, through the darkest moment ever. So thank you. We love you. We appreciate you very much. So. This is hard enough. You just made it a lot harder. So. Uh, wow. For those of you maybe are at Cedar Creek Church for the first time and you're wondering what in the world is going on, today is not a typical day for us as a church. 31 days ago, our oldest son, Philip Jr., lost his battle with mental illness and took his life. And today is our family's first time back here with our church family. And I think it's appropriate this morning for me just to share some long overdue thank yous. First, I, I want to say thank you to our incredible church staff. Over the last month, they have loved you and served you and led you with excellence in spite of the fact that they, their leader was not with them. And in the middle of their own grief and brokenness, they stepped up to the plate and have led you well. So would you join me in thanking our incredible staff here at Cedar Creek. That Thursday evening of Philip's death, I was with our campus pastors. I knew almost immediately that I would be completely incapacitated and incapable of leading and loving and serving you as a church. And I simply made one request of them. I said, guys, all I need you to do for me is to take care of our people. And they have done that with excellence, and I'm so thankful for them. I'm also thankful for the incredible faith community here, not only throughout the CSRA, but really all across the country. Over the last month, Terry and I have received dozens and dozens of cards, notes, calls, Facebook messages, and visits from pastors throughout our community and they have come alongside us they have prayed for us and they have led their congregations here to pray for our family and to pray for you our church and I'm especially thankful to the amazing team at Saddleback Church out in Southern California because sadly they walk this road as a church together with Pastor Rick and Kay Warren about three 
years ago, and they immediately reached out to us, to our family, to our staff. They came alongside our team here with great input and advice and just somebody to talk to who had walked down this road. And Pastor Rick and Kay have loved on and encouraged Terry and I so well over these last few weeks, and I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for all of our faith community who has pulled together on our behalf and the behalf of our church. I also want to say thank you to my incredible family. To my wife, Terry, who I have always known as amazing and strong, I'm even more blown away by the depth of strength in this woman and how God is already using her to love on and care for so many, even in the brokenness of her own pain. I'm so thankful for our children, Rick and Misty and Ben and Ashton and Emily and Caitlin. Their faith has overwhelmed me to watch them stand in their own brokenness and hold on to each other and hold on to Jesus. And let me tell you, they love their big brother. They were so proud of him. They love to watch him lead worship. They love to see him sing in concerts. They love to have him hang out at the house. They loved their brother well. And he loved them. And I'm so thankful if we over these last few weeks have just pulled together in a bubble of family. I'm so thankful for our children, for our two daughter-in-laws. I also want to say how thankful I am to you, our Cedar Creek Church family. You have overwhelmed us with love and support and prayers. It has blown us away. There are baskets of cards sitting in our house, hundreds if not thousands, and I want you to know that Terry and I have personally sat and read every one of those cards. And we will continue to do so because they encourage us. They help us get through the next moment, through the next breath, day by day. We probably will never be able to write thank you notes to all of you, so you'll just have to forgive us for that. But just know... You have meant so much to us, and, and we're so grateful for that. There's a passage of Scripture there on your outline that I think identifies where we are and how we look to you, our church family. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It simply says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But, but, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On Him we have 
set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then, and this is the good part, then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of the many. And that is our plan. As you continue to pray for us, as you continue to encourage us with your presence, with your passionate commitment to the mission and vision of this church, as you continue to do those things, I stand before you today and tell you that Terry and I and our family will give the rest of our lives to bring a message of hope to those who have lost all hope. As my wife so eloquently put at the end of Philip's memorial service, he is freaking using it. And you are a part of God using this. I think Satan screwed up this time. I think he picked the wrong family and the wrong church. We are devastated, but we are not defeated. We have never been more committed to the mission and vision of this church. As Pastor West shared with you last week, almost five years ago, I, I stood on a stage at the Convocation Center at our church's 20th birthday and shared with you a burden that God had put on my heart. A burden to take on and battle the global giant of human trafficking. Something that keeps millions in bondage in, in our communities, in our country, and all around the world. And when I told you God had given us that vision as a church, I had no idea how, when, or what we would do. But that God had called us to it and he would lead us into that battle and I'm standing here before you nearly five years later and telling you that God is calling us into a battle of this global giant of mental illness and addiction and we've got a battle because we're losing a generation This past year over 40,000 people in our country committed suicide in just the last year, that's almost as many people who died in the entire 10 years of the Vietnam War. People, we are losing our children. We are losing our next generation to hopelessness, to mental illness, to struggles. And I'm not okay with that. And I know you're not okay with that. And I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of the most hurting and most hopeless around us. And I just got one question, Cedar Creek Church. Are you with me? Are you with me? 
Thank you. I better get started on this message or we'll never get out of here. You can see on your outline there we're continuing in this series called Free Indeed. This summer when I was putting this series together for the fall, the big idea was this freedom that the Bible tells us that Jesus offers is a lot different than the freedom that we desire. It's a lot different from the freedom that the world offers us or that we can provide for ourselves. We think of freedom as being able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, to say whatever we want to say, to live however we want to live. But let me tell you, that ain't freedom. That is a self-imposed prison of self-centeredness that leads to emptiness and brokenness and hopelessness. When the Bible says that when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed, that kind of freedom is the freedom to be who God created you to be and to do what he created you to do. And that's what we're exploring, that kind of freedom in Christ. Today I was scheduled to speak about freedom from our fears. But with your permission, I would like to postpone that a week And today, talk about freedom in our darkness. I was very specific when I wrote that title. Because what I'm talking about today is not freedom from darkness. It is freedom in darkness. Because Jesus doesn't always rescue you from your darkness. But he always brings you freedom in the darkness darkness. Let me just be really clear with you about your pastor. He is not standing before you today speaking as a man who has come out of darkness. He is speaking to you as a man who is deep in darkness right now. I'm not speaking to you as a man who has come through the valley of the shadow of death. I am speaking to you as a man who is flat down on his face in the very floor of the valley of the shadow of death. But even in my darkness, I am discovering that there is freedom in Christ. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 4. He says, people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What does that mean? It means you don't have to get out of your darkness to see the light. The light comes to you in the darkest moments of your life. Jesus comes to you when you can't see to take the next step. Because I know today... We are not the only ones in darkness. Many, many of you sitting in this room and on our campuses or watching me online, many of you are in the middle of your own darkness. Maybe you've lost a child. 
Maybe you had a spouse walk out on you and abandon you. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost your financial resources or you've lost your way or you feel like you're losing your mind and you are in darkness. And I want you to know you can find a light in the darkness, but you got to look for it. You got to be willing to open your eyes. You know, throughout the Bible, the symbolism of light is used not only as a symbol for Jesus as the light of the world, but light is often a symbol for a new way of seeing. Seeing the light is about a new perspective on God, on yourself, and on life. Seeing the light is a new way of thinking. That's why we still use that imagery of a light bulb going off in somebody's mind when they've thought differently or seen differently or had a different perspective. And I will tell you, this darkness has changed everything about my perspective on God, on myself, and on life. On Thursday morning, September the 6th, I was sitting in my office doing what I do on almost every Thursday morning, putting finishing touches on Sunday's message, getting ready for a service planning meeting where we go through all the songs and all the transitions. And in that moment, the things that I knew about God and about myself and about life was quite a long list. I've been studying the Bible and studying God and studying people and studying life and teaching on it for a long time. And I have this long list of things that I knew that I knew. But I'm going to tell you when that phone rang and I heard the words that no parent ever wants to hear, that list of what I know got a whole lot shorter. That list of things that I knew that I knew about myself and about God and about life got really, really small. But I'm standing here to tell you out of my darkness that what I know is enough. I guess what I'm saying is that my theology has gotten a lot simpler and God is using it to make my faith a lot stronger. And so this morning, I just want to simply share with you three things that I know in my darkness that you can know in your darkness. If you ever needed to take notes, I think today is that day. Number one, in your darkness, you can know that God is with you. God is with you in your darkness. The Bible, in fact, says God is closest to the brokenhearted, to those who are in darkness. And can I just tell you, over the last 31 days, there have been some moments where God has felt closer to me than he's ever been. But there have been a whole lot more moments where God has felt much further away than he's ever been. There have been times in the night and even during the day when it felt like God was a billion miles away, like he 
had turned his back, like he didn't care, like he was too busy and wasn't there. I never doubted God's existence, but I've doubted his love, and I have doubted his plan. See, that's what happens in darkness. What you feel overwhelms what you know. And while our emotions may control us in our darkness, it is the truth and only the truth that will sustain us in our darkness. And the truth is, God is with you. Look at these words, God himself speaking to you, to me, Isaiah 43. God says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. I don't know what darkness you're in today, but I do know you are not alone in your darkness. God is with you. See, it's natural for us in the darkness to question, why him? Why now? Why like this? We ask those questions because it feels like if we could just find an answer, then maybe it wouldn't hurt so bad. If somebody could explain it to us, if we could wrap our logical minds around it, if we could somehow make sense out of it, then maybe it wouldn't hurt so bad. But what answer would satisfy? What explanation would possibly make the pain okay? There are none. Because what we are looking for, what we are desperate for, will never be found in the answers to our questions. But I am convinced it can be found in the presence of our God. And He is with you. Pastor Rick Warren, in the days following the death of his son Matthew, wrote these words in his journal. He said, I would rather walk with God and have none of my questions answered than to walk without God and have all of my questions answered. God is with you in your pain. The question is, are you willing to be with him? Are you willing to look around and see where he is? Are you willing to run into his arms? Are you going to continue to let your anger and your frustration and your lack of answered questions cause you to be angry and hold him at arm's length? I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what God wants to do, and that is to be close to you, to be with you in your pain. That, friends, I know. The second thing I know in my darkness is that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Not only is he with us in our darkness, but he is worthy of our trust even in our darkness. And can I just tell you, this might be the hardest thing to do in your darkness. 
to trust God when life doesn't go the way you thought it should. To trust God when things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. Because when that happens, when the wheels come off, when your world and your life and your heart are shattered by a phone call or the words of a doctor or the backside of a family member leaving you, when that happens, fear takes hold. You start to be afraid. If God could allow this to happen, what else could he allow to happen? Who else could I lose? What else could be taken from me? And that fear creates insecurity. We're afraid the other shoe's going to drop. And so in that insecurity, we pull back and we withhold trust from God. And yet as hard as it is to trust God in the darkness, it is the thing we need most to do in the darkness. Look at Hebrews 50.10. It says, if you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Circle that word trust and circle the word rely. How do you do that? How do you trust a God who's let you down? How do you rely on a God who didn't come through when you needed it the most? I'm standing here today. I'm asking that question. I don't have the answer. I'm struggling with how I can learn to trust God again. But part of the reason, and it's a small part, but it's something and I'm holding on to it. Part of the reason that I can trust a God who allowed my son to die is to remember that he is the same God who willingly gave his son for me. A broken, messed up, jacked up sinner like me. And if he can love like that, then maybe, just maybe, I can gather the strength to give him the benefit of the doubt, to trust him a little bit more. See, here's what I think I'm learning about trusting God, is that trusting God is less about the strength of my faith and more about the weakness of my will. Trusting God in the darkness is less about how strong and faithful and faith and trusting I can be, and it's more about how willing I am to surrender my will to His will when His will doesn't make sense. See, there's a man in the Old Testament who knew all about darkness. His name is Job. Some of you, many of you have heard his story. Job didn't lose a child. He lost all of his children in a moment from a terrorist attack. His whole family, his children, his grandchildren, wiped out. And hours later, his entire fortune, all of his finances, all that he had was taken from him. And then he lost his own physical health. 
And he turned to his wife in need of support, and it was so bad, she just told him, you might as well curse God and die. That's a man in darkness, and yet, somehow he was able to say these words on your outline. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. See, we read that and go, wow, Job is a man of strong faith. No, these are not the words of a man of strong faith. These are the words of a man who's lost everything and has no option but to hold on to God because everything has been taken from This is a statement of surrender, not a statement of faith. And I believe surrendering to God is how you learn how to trust in God. What would that look like for you? What would that kind of surrender to finally give up running after holding on to building your life on things that can be taken like that. Maybe for, for some of us, it would mean finally surrendering our plan for our life to God's purposes for our life. Maybe for some of us, it would mean Surrendering our desires, these things we want, these things we run after, these things we think will fill us and make us whole and make us happy. Maybe it's about surrendering the empty counterfeit that this world offers you and surrendering to the deep fulfillment that God offers you in a life spent serving Him by serving others. I don't know what surrender looks like to you, but I'm telling you, you don't really trust God until you learn how to surrender the things most precious to you. In the darkness, I know that God is with you. I know that God can be trusted. And finally, I know that God can use it for good. God can use your darkness for good, for your good, for the good of people around you, and for ultimately His glory. I believe your darkest days lay the groundwork for the greatest work that God wants to do in and through you. I say that because of this great promise from Romans eight twenty eight. It says, and we know, we know, even in the darkness, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, those of you who have been Cedar Creekers for a while, you've heard me teach on this verse many, many times. And the reason I do is because it's one of the most misunderstood, one of the most mistranslated verses in all of Scripture. See, this verse does not say God causes all things. God is not the cause of evil. God is not the cause of suffering. God is not the cause of brokenness. And God was not the cause of my son's death. It was not God's will that Philip die. And don't you try to tell me it is. 
Because God's will is perfect. God's will is good. God's will brings joy. But God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is rarely done on this planet. Only in those rare occasions when we get over ourselves and choose to love the people around us. Those little glimmers of good that we see around us. That's when God's will comes through, but not in the brokenness. People say all kinds of things to grieving people. Can I just tell you, when you're around somebody that's grieving, shut up and hug them. Your words don't help. And most of the time, your words cause pain. As a pastor, I've heard people say to parents who've lost a child, well, it must have just been God's will. Or or God needed him in heaven more than we needed him on earth. God don't need anything. God is God. I got a word. I got two words for those kind of words. Bull shrimp. That ain't truth. God didn't cause this. This verse also does not say that all things are good. Not all things are good. What this verse promises is that God will bring good out of the brokenness of our lives. God never wants to waste a hurt. And I believe that today. In fact, we've already started to see ways that God is bringing good out of this worst thing ever. And it's our desire as a family to be a part of God bringing even more out of it. God helping people who are hurting like Philip hurts. Advocating for those who have no one to advocate for them. But I also know this, no matter how much good comes out of it, it will never make my son's death okay. There's never going to be a time when I see enough good brought out of it where I will say, oh, I'm glad Philip died because God is doing so much with it. That ain't going to happen, and it's not going to happen in your life. Pain. Let me just be 100% honest and transparent. If as a result of my son's death, thousands, tens of thousands of people's lives are transformed. Let's say God uses this to transform our community and the lives of thousands and thousands of people over the next few years. If you were to give me or if God were to give me a choice, to either have those people's lives changed or my son back. I can tell you right now, I want my son back because I'm not God. I'm a broken, grieving father who doesn't understand it and not enough good will ever come out of it to even the score and I'm okay with that because one day Jesus is coming back and he will even the score and one day I will be with my son and we will be in the presence of Jesus And he will smile, and he'll say, welcome home, Pops. And that day, that day it'll be worth it. But all I got right now, all I got right now is seeing God use it. Bring good out of it. 
And I know that I know that because God has promised it. And he's promised that to you. If you love him, if you live called according to his purposes, he can bring good out of it. Never going to even the score this side of heaven. But what are you going to do? What other option do you have? It's the only way you can find some light is look for the good because that's where you'll find God working. I think one of the ways that God has used the death of our son has brought you here to church this morning. I don't know why you think you're here. Some of you are here because you love us and you want to be here to support us. Some of you are here because it's just your habit. It's what you do on Sunday morning. Some of you are here because you're just, quite frankly, curious what a pastor would say who has a son take his life. I don't know why you think you're here, but I know why you're here. You're here by divine appointment. That's how much God loves you and cares for you, that he brought you here in your darkness, in your pain, to say you can't know everything, but you can know enough to take the next step. So I'm going to close this morning. I want to speak directly to each one of you. I wish somehow... There was time in a way that I could sit knee to knee, nose to nose, over a cup of coffee with you and speak to you personally, but that's not possible. So I want to do that as best I can right now. First of all, I want to speak to those of you who don't know Jesus. You know about him, or maybe you don't. Maybe you've heard stories or you celebrate Christmas and Easter, but you don't really know him intimately. You don't feel his presence. You don't listen to his words. You don't see him in and through your life. And maybe the reason for that is you got doubts. You got questions that aren't being answered. It seems too easy. It seems too easy that all sin could be forgiven through one death. It seems just ridiculous that one man's death and being raised from the dead could make a way for every human being who's ever lived or ever will live. I understand questions. If that's you, if you're struggling, seeking truth, knowing you got to grab hold of something, if that's you this morning, I want you to know we want you at Cedar Creek Church. This is a safe place. The pastor here has doubts. The pastor here has questions. The pastor is struggling with Jesus and the Bible and what all that means. I'm just saying, come join us on this journey and we'll walk it together. We want you at Cedar Creek Church. The second group I want to speak to are those of you who are struggling with your thoughts. Or maybe I should say, you are often tortured by your thoughts. It takes everything you have just to get out of the bed. You're tortured with thoughts of unworthiness. You're tortured with shame and guilt. You're tortured with depression. You're tortured with mania. You're tortured with, you, you can't make your mind mind. And it's driving you crazy. And you don't understand if that's you this morning. And by the way, that's many of us. 
One in five of us struggle with some form of mental illness. And I would say all of us in one way, place, or time, all of us struggle with some form of mental illness. I just want you to know you're not alone. You don't have to keep struggling in silence. It is not a stigma to have a broken mind any more than it is a stigma to have a a broken kidney or a, a broken liver. And we are taking the stigma away from mental illness. And you are welcome here. You are safe here. It is okay not to be okay at Cedar Creek Church. And we want you. We want you in this family. We have resources. We have support groups. We have counselors. We have folks that you can, we can connect you with. You don't have to suffer alone. It is not a sin to be sick. Come home because we want you. And then finally, I want to talk to those of you that are Cedar Creekers. That you are a part of this mission and vision called Cedar Creek Church. If that's you, I got one thing to say. You better buckle up, buttercup. Because I'm back and we are getting on mission. We are getting focused not on the preferences of the people who are already here, but the needs of the brokenness who are on the streets and across the street and in homes and apartments and trailers and on the street. We are done with petty things here at Cedar Creek. I'm going to tell you, you know my struggle. You know how long I have struggled with people pleasing But I'm going to tell you something. You get in this kind of darkness, you experience this kind of grief, it makes you fearless. What else can you do to me? I've already had the worst thing possible. There's nothing a man can do to me. I'm living for Jesus, for his mission, for his vision, not the preferences of the already saved, but the needs of the broken. That's where we're going. I don't know when. I don't know how. It's all I could do today to stand here and speak to you today. I don't know if I'll have the strength to do it next week. I don't know if I'll have the strength to get out of bed tomorrow. But God wanted me to say this. He gave me the strength to be here today. And God willing, at some point, at some point, when enough of the broken, shattered pieces of our hearts are being put back together, we commit to you. We commit to God. And we commit to the hurting people in our community that we will love them. We will bring hope. We will lay down our own lives to transform the lives of others. That is where we are going, church. And I just got one question. Are you with me? Are you with me? Then because I love you, I'm going to talk to you like you're my own. Thank you. If you love me, show up at your campus next Sunday. If you love me, sign up and serve somewhere on your campus. If you love me, get connected 
to a small group or a home group because your phone call's coming. Get connected. Live out the mission and vision. Be done with lesser things in your life. Be done with the things that distract. They are from the enemy. You can't spend enough weekends away. You can't do enough with your kids to restore or to replace what God wants to do when you live on mission. So if you are with me, then have the guts to take a next step and be a part of this. I don't care how many. I'm just saying if you're going to be here, just be all in because we're in a fight. We're in a fight for our lives. We're in a fight for our community. We are in a fight for our children. We are in a fight against darkness. And we don't need wishy-washy soldiers. We need people ready for battle. And if you're truly with me, we'll see you next week. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your strength is perfect when ours is gone. Lord, I pray that not one person watching or listening to me today ascribes any glory to me. Because this ain't about me. I am a shell of a broken man that God is speaking through. God, the glory is yours. This isn't about us. This isn't about our family. It's not about Philip Jr. This is just about you. God, help us in our brokenness and our darkness. Never forget to always reflect the glory back to you. That's my prayer. For my heart, my family, and for this church I love so much. Thank you, Lord. Continue to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.